You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. From my big red journal, January the 22nd, 2009. That's right, 2009. Shauna and I are in the air right now, flying home from San Francisco. We've seen God's call up close and personal. It was quite a surprise to learn that he had called us to plant our lives and our church in the city. And from that day forward, really over the last four years, we've been asking God to build something beautiful here. And uh, man, you guys are more beautiful than we expected, just to be honest. Uh, It's been amazing. So we pause today really to say thanks to God for what he's done. The babies that have already been born in the last two years in our church since the church started, which is fun. Two of those uh, staff babies, which is really fun. Uh, We're trying to get a couple more staff babies. We'll tell you about that later on this morning. To see um, over 30 nations represented around the globe just here in our church in the first two years. Um, To see people baptized. To see uh, us be able to do weddings. Uh, Just had our first engagement two weeks ago of people that met in our church. So that's going to be something fun. Uh, That's right. Listen, lots of great reasons to come to church. I mean... um, (laughs) But if you're looking for a spouse, uh, again, we just get a small commission on that. Um, But so many things have happened over the last two years, and so we pause today really to say thanks be to God for what he's done. And some of you are brand new in this mix, and some of you have been here a lot longer. um, But we just want you to know that we are grateful for what God has done. And yet simultaneously, when we say thanks for the last two years, we have this deep belief that the best is still to come. And so uh, the day that I stop believing that is the day that I'll walk off the stage for good Um, because I'm not about just going through motions. I want to see God do something amazing. It's been amazing so far, and my prayer is, my hope is, what I'm aiming for, what I'm trying to get better at is a way to lead our church into what's next. And so I'm so glad that you're here. We're launching a brand new series this morning called Rejecting Status Quo, and here's why. None of us want to live average, mediocre, ordinary, normal lives, do we? But most of us will. Oh, none of us want to. None of us are telling our kids in the morning, like, hey, don't do your best today. Just if you can get the C, um, we will be proud of you, too. Um, We have two kids in school. Um, No, we're like, go go do your best. Do better than average. Be, uh, Be bold. But here's the problem. Most of us will find it easier to settle for a status quo kind of life. And we believe, and what I want to advocate throughout the series, is that God has created you and he's created me for something more than status quo. He birthed our church for something more than status quo. And so we're not going to be content to live out what's average and ordinary, mediocre, even what's normal. I mean, how much fun is normal? Not a lot of fun, right? Um, and the definition of status quo is pretty simple. It just means the way, the way things are. Just the current state of affairs, the, way, the existence of the way things are right now, the norm. And here's what I believe. I believe, and I think you could concur with me, there are enough status quo people alive. We don't need to join their group. There are enough status quo pursuits that people are going after. There are enough status quo marriages. Hopefully you're not in one. Um, if you are, I don't think it has to stay that way. There are enough status quo businesses. And I certainly believe from experience there are way too many status quo churches. And so over the next seven weeks, what I want to do is look at the lives of people in the Bible and see where they rejected status quo and how they went about that and what that could mean for us, where they didn't choose what was normal, where they were rarely in the majority. Um, And so I'm just going to ask the question for us, could we begin to be people who live out these kinds of lives? I certainly hope so. And our first story is found in Numbers chapter 14. 
Um, it's the fourth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers. If you need a Bible, though, raise your hand. Uh, one thing we do just habitually here at Epic and don't apologize for is we want to make sure you can follow along. So if you want a Bible this morning, this is yours to keep. Keep your hands up. Our volunteers will hook you up with your own Bible. And if you have one of those Bibles, we're on page 79. For the rest of us, will be Numbers chapter 14, uh, which, again, is the fourth book in, in the Bible in the Old Testament. And before we get there... Let me set the stage for us so we understand uh, what we need to understand as we enter into the story. Um, so the nation of Israel had been enslaved for 430 years, quite a long time, right? Enslaved for 430 years. Uh, they wanted God to rescue them. God shows up and he delivers them. He rescues them from slavery. They had been enslaved um, really under the most powerful man, at least in the known world, Pharaoh, in Egypt. They had been enslaved for 430 years. God shows up to deliver them, and he doesn't just deliver them from slavery in Egypt. He delivers them to a good land called Canaan, also known as the promised land. A great lesson for you and I just to, just to know from God. When God frees us from something, he's also freeing us into something. He doesn't just get the bad stuff out of our lives. He's not that kind of God, though we would be happy at times. Um, he frees us from something and then to something. So he frees them from slavery in Egypt, but to the promised land. He frees us from our sin, but to this abundant living relationship with himself. And so this is, this is what he does. He frees us from something into something. And so God tells Moses, send 12 spies to spy out this land known as Canaan. In fact, choose one spy from each of the 12 tribes and have them go pursue what this land is about. He says to them, see if this is a good land or a bad land. Are there many people in the land or few people? Are they rich or poor? Are they strong or weak? And also, by the way, bring some fruit back. He wanted to make sure that they weren't lying. Like, hey, if they're saying it's a good land, then, then the proof is in the pudding, right? Or in the grapes in this instance. Um, so after 40 days of spying, they come back to Moses and Aaron and the, the rest of the Israelites, and they say the land is really, really good. It's flowing with milk and honey. Now, anybody have that for breakfast or a combination? Milk, honey, anybody this morning? Um, well, whatever you really love, uh, just think in terms of that. They really loved milk and honey. The grapes were there. So it's a good land. But they say, essentially, the land is great, but the opposition is strong. The area is well fortified. It's very large. And the people who live there, they're literally giants. And so here's the, the plan is great reward, lots of risk. Is it worth it? Caleb, one of the 12 spies, says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome. Caleb was, I don't know if you have people in your life or in your department or in your family that they're going to go for it, even if it's crazy. Anybody have someone like that? Some of you are, as I'm looking at certain people in my life. Some of you are those people. And so Caleb's like, we can do this. But then 10 of the spies said, no way. <laughs> Caleb, uh, they are stronger than we are, and we don't stand a chance, and we will not be able to overcome it. So you have 10 of the 12 spies trying to maintain the status quo. You have two of them willing to reject the status quo. Would you guys stand with me as we read Numbers 14, 1 through 11? Let's discover what happens to those who seek to maintain the normal, average, status quo life and what happens with the ones who seek to reject it and follow what God has for them. 14, 1 through 11 says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. 
And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with the stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? You may be seated. If we are going to reject the status quo, we must be willing to walk away from the familiar at times. If we are going to reject the status quo, then this is true for every one of us, we must be willing to walk away from what's familiar at times. Think about this. They've been enslaved for 430 years. And how many of you love doing the same thing even like all day? Like most of you don't. That's part of what you're doing here. They've done the same thing for 430 years. It's what they know. It's what their parents know and do. It's what their grandparents knew and did. And, and God frees them from four centuries plus more than four centuries worth of slavery, bondage, and oppression. God frees them. That's this magnificent moment. You've heard about the Jews who celebrate the Passover? That's what this is linked to. It's a huge moment in their existence and in their history. It's something that we need to celebrate, that God freed them from 400 plus years of slavery. And then in verses 1 through 4, you see them doing this. Um, could we please go back to Egypt? Isn't that crazy? They're begging to go back to a land where they were enslaved. Why? Here's why. Sometimes the familiar seems safer to us even when we know it's a terrible existence. Why would they go back? 400 years of slavery, God frees them. Chains are broken. Pharaoh, God has sent the plagues and Pharaoh has no power over them. They're free to go. They're free to live their lives. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. And all of a sudden they say in verse 4, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Hopefully you don't follow leaders like that that would take you back to Egypt. But sometimes the familiar seems safer to us, even when we know it's a terrible existence. Some of you don't love the habits, addictions, and patterns of your lives, but they're just what you know. They've become a part of the very fabric of who you are, and you know it's destructive, and you know it's not healthy, but it's really, really familiar, isn't it? And some of the hardest things for us to do in life are detach ourselves from what's familiar, just to let go, for some of you, it's not patterns and habits and addictions. For some of you, it's a career thing. Like, like you don't love what you do. In fact, you spend time, sometimes daily, daydreaming about something else that you could do. And that thought process and the dreaming really gets your heart going. But then you're like, oh, wait a minute. I went to school for this thing. This thing's what I've done for five or ten, some of you, the last 30 years. And I can't imagine leaving this. I don't love it. It's not exciting, it's not fulfilling, it's not rewarding, it's not helping me make any kind of mark on the world, but this is what I know after all, isn't it? If you're going to reject the status quo, there's going to have to be times in your life where you walk away from what's familiar. That's part of the pattern we'll see over the next seven weeks. And listen, I'm not saying that for every one of us in here, we need to leave what we know. Sometimes what we know is what God absolutely has for us, but some of us need to be willing to leave familiar 
destructive things for sure, but some of you, even for career changes, relationship type issues, some of you need to, you need to leave what's familiar. Who cares if you're familiar to it and you know it and it seems like it's been a part of you? God's trying to pull you out to bring you into something better, and you need to be able to trust him no matter how familiar the things are that you and I are, are called to leave in our, in our lives. And so um, just think about that. What's familiar to you, and is it hard to walk away from? And remember that the status quo will always be the easiest choice, or at least it will seem like the easiest choice. One thing I want you to think about that's baffled me in my thought process for this message is in our country alone, there are hundreds of thousands of churches. Okay, just think about that. And some of you have been to these churches. Some of you grew up in these churches. We won't name names, but some of you, no matter where you grew up, you, you, you know about churches that only seem to maintain the status quo. They're not making any impact they're no longer externally focused. They're internally focused. They're no longer praying big prayers. They're no longer taking risks. They're no longer living by faith. And here's what's crazy. This discovery for me was this week. I said to myself, Ben, at one point in time, every one of those churches was started by an individual or individuals who rejected status quo, who wanted to bring about something new in their midst and in their city, who wanted to believe God could do great things, who wanted to pursue this grand vision, but somewhere along the way, there was a meeting that went down, and the pastor, or one of the leaders, or someone in the church, somebody said, hey, we need to pursue this thing. This is our next step. And then someone sitting at the table said this, that doesn't seem too safe. That doesn't make sense. We don't do things like that around here. And it saddens me to know so many churches were started in this rejecting status quo sort of mindset. But one day, and some of you started your careers in that mindset, but then one day you're like, oh, I'm not going to keep pressing on. I'm not going to go for the next thing because mm, it's not safe. It doesn't seem familiar. It seems a bit scary. And here's what I know. We're two years in at Epic Church. We're still young. As somebody said to me this morning, like, Ben, you guys are finally a toddler. I don't know how to take that. And I'm not sure if we're potty trained or not. But um, I know as we go through the years and the decades, this, this will be a constant temptation to make sure that this thing stays a movement and doesn't simply become a monument. So keep me accountable on that. I don't, want to, I don't want to be a part of a museum, and I, not against people who work at museums, all right? Now, my wife could tell you how much I enjoy museums at some other time, but I, I don't want to just go, hey, let's talk about the way things used to be so great while we maintain status quo here for our existence. I don't want to lead a church like that. I don't want you to live a life like that. He goes on in the story. You look at verse 7. You have Caleb and Joshua stand up. And I don't know, do, do you guys have anyone in your life, even though you're maybe not playing sports anymore, I guess most of us aren't, that kind of is a pep talk person in your life, maybe in your department or your boss, maybe guys, it's your wife, they give you the pep talks. Um, did anybody have anybody like that? Like they just, they get fired up and they give you the, like, we're going to take this. Well, look at what Caleb and Joshua say in verse 7. They say, verse 7, the land which we pass through to spy it out, it's a good, good land. And then they say, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and he will give it to us. They're just saying, we believe God can do this. Let's go for it. We believe that God can do this. Let's try to make this thing happen. We believe he can do it. And then um, he says in verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. When we start talking about rejecting status quo and living a life like this, some people believe that this is a life that's only for people who are great risk takers. The crazy people, right? And we know some of those. But this, this is kind of the stuff for them. But he's saying, no, this is rebelling against the Lord. This is not for those who are crazy risk takers. This is for men and women, boys and girls, who will be willing to exercise faith and obedience and walk where God calls them to walk. That's who this is for. As you see verse 9 going on, keep, keep looking at verse 9. He says, do not rebel against the Lord. And then he says, and do not fear the people. Do not fear 
the people. Let me ask you this. What fears are keeping you from pursuing what you think God might have for you in the future? Like he's stirring something in your heart, but you begin to think, oh, the opposition. What fears are keeping you from pursuing the things you think God might have? You're not sure, maybe. What you think God might have for your future? What fears are paralyzing you? Let me ask you this question. Of the 12 spies who saw this land as a good land, if they wouldn't have seen the giants there and they wouldn't have seen any opposition, how many of the 12 spies would have pursued the land? I was going to say it's a number between 11 and 13, but all of them would also be correct. Didn't tell you what format the test was in. All of them. Why? Because the land is good. And if there was no opposition, they would go for it. And many of us, we want to go after things, and we want God to give us things without any opposition being in our way. But does it take faith? Do you have to exhibit faith if there's no opposition? If it's easy, what good is faith? If it's so easy, what good is God? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so just know that we are called to live lives that demand faith, faith in God. But there are all kinds of fears that can get in our ways. As we began to think about starting this church, I'll give you a few of my fears. The, the big fear for someone that starts a church is this. Will anyone ever show up? I still have that fear, to be honest. Like, Shauna, do you think they'll come today? Will anyone show up? Can we afford it? What about raising our kids in San Francisco? Will we have any place to meet? This is still part of my life. It's easy without the opposition. If somebody handed me $10 million and a big building that could hold 1,000 people, guess who wouldn't have to exhibit faith too much? And if you've got that building, hook me up. But if not, if not, my guess is God's going to make us trust him. He's going to make us go for it when we can't clearly see it. He's going to want us to trust him when it isn't so easy. And then as they go down throughout this text in Numbers 14, he says, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That phrase, uh, that's what we're asking God for, for this to be true. The Lord is with us. We talk a lot at Epic about the favor of God. We believe that when God's favor is on a business or a family or a relationship or a church, that anything becomes possible. The Lord is with us. And I just want to say to you that with that in mind, it's better to pursue something that seems impossible with the Lord with you than it is to maintain the status quo in his absence. Let me say it again. It's better, it's safer even, for you to pursue something impossible with God's presence active in your life than it is to try to do what makes common sense to maintain the status quo when the Lord's absent from your life. It's better. And the question I have for us is, is there anything you're pursuing that won't happen without divine intervention? Is there anything you're pursuing, chasing, going after, asking God for, aiming for, that you will know, you know, will not happen without divine intervention? Anything. Anything. Like, Ben, that's scary. That's where all the cool stories in the Bible happen. That's where all the cool stories in my life happen. Many of you know that Shauna and I are in the process of seeking to adopt a daughter in India, uh, which means our three sons are in the process of uh, seeking to adopt a sister, which is, makes for lots of fun, good conversation. All the things that since we've just been a boy household that we won't be allowed once the daughter comes, you know what I'm saying? You've got to wear clothes. Uh, you've got to shut the door when you use the bathroom. I mean, all the things that don't have to exist uh, right now, we're, we're looking forward to that. And last April, we got into the program in India, and 
and it, it was obvious it was going to be a lot of money, and it was obvious it was going to take some time, but the steps seemed pretty smooth. Like, you do this, 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 and this, and all of these things, and, and, and then it'll happen. So we, from April to September, we had a home study. People invaded our home. Not really. It was nice. But they came into our home to see uh, what life was like for us as a family. Uh, we had to fill out more forms than you can imagine, get things documented, go to Sacramento, get things from the states we were born. Anyway, just crazy. But in September, we sent our huge packet off to India. And it was out of our hands at that time, and we had done all the things that, that we were supposed to do. And that same month, they assigned us an orphanage, a specific orphanage in a certain city in India. And, and so we're just like, this is awesome. This is smooth. It's happening like it's supposed to happen. This is really good. We'll take some time, but we've got to raise some money. Anyway, in November, I received a phone call from our agency representative that said this, um, hey, Ben, I want you to know that things that we said were happening a certain way in India are no longer happening that way. I was like, well, that, that's obviously not good news. But then she went on to say, in, in fact, none of our families or any other agency families are being paired with a child in their age range. Like, oh, that's even worse news. And so began to talk. And then she said, um, hey, I understand if you guys want to seek a refund. Now, it's never good when a person who could get more of your money tells you they want to give your money back, right? I mean, that, that just doesn't happen like that. I appreciated the honesty. I'm like, okay, this is, this is worse than I thought when she started talking. Um, and then she says, if you want to, you guys can transfer to a different country program. I'm like, mm, okay. She said, or you can stay in the India program realizing there are no guarantees. In fact, I want you and Shauna to sign some waivers saying that you know this may never happen. Like, okay. This is bad, right? And so um, your pastor, who has so much faith, called his wife and be like, yeah, I think we might need to get a refund. And she, like, I mean, I've come around to this place. She goes, no, Ben, God has called us to this. We're going to go for it, and God's going to deliver. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> I've got so much faith right now. Um, and I was just like, Shauna, this may never happen. She's like, no, this, this is going to happen. We're going to pray. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, this past Tuesday, February 5th, we got a phone call. Now, it's not the phone call, but it's a significant phone call um, saying to us that our orphanage has requested an in-person meeting with our agency representative. And we're like, that's good news. I don't know how good, but that's, that's good news. Well, we didn't know how good the news was, and we still don't know exactly, but they told us that there has never been an orphanage in the entire country of India that has ever requested an in-person meeting. So our hope is, an assumption, pray with us, we should find out by the end of March, our hope is... Our hope is that they don't want to just get together and, and uh, talk about the weather. Uh, so pray, pray with us. Now, let me be honest. I, I wish there was no opposition. Like, I know I'm saying faith, and, and, and when there's opposition, faith gets built. But I wish there was no opposition. I wish I was telling you guys this morning that, hey, I won't be here next Sunday because Shauna and I are hopping on an airplane tomorrow, and we're bringing back this girl from India. But I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you there's still hoops. There's still a country that's in control, and we're not. But I'm telling you this, these are the moments when God seems to build our faith. Listen, I don't ask for him. I don't wake up in the morning and go, God, would you make this a hard day? God, would you put lots of obstacles in our way? And would you make our boys have terrible days and forget to do their homework? And um, God, could we just get, you know, some natural catastrophe? No, I, I'm not doing that. But I do know this. It's in those moments, if we'll hang on, that our faith gets built. It's in those moments, if you hang on, where your faith will be built. Look at what God says in verse 11. Verse 11, God says to Moses about all these people. Um, I can only see that he's sighing pretty um, strongly. He says, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Here's what God's saying. 
He's just going, uh, this is the way I imagine it, and I think this is pretty accurate. God's going, wait a minute. They were enslaved for 430 years. For over four centuries, they had someone telling them to make bricks moment after moment, day after day. And whatever the someone told them, they had to do. For 430 years, it's the life they knew, it's the life their parents knew, it's the life their grandparents knew. And I came down and I rescued them from slavery, bondage, oppression, under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt. I did whatever it took to rescue them. And now they don't believe that I can bring them into the land of Canaan. Same thing happens for us. You've seen God's activity in your life. Child become healthy who wasn't supposed to be. Relationship get healed that you had almost given up on. A job offer come your way that you weren't qualified for. You've seen his activity. And if you're anything like me, though, still we can go, oh, I don't know if he'll come through this time. Hear your pastor on this, please. Let God's past activity fuel your future faith in him. Let me say it again. Let God's past activity Fuel your future faith in him. Let what he's done in your past light the way for you to go, you know what? We can trust him because he's been faithful before. How must it grieve God's heart when he's shown up in our lives in some amazing ways and we go, well, I don't know if you'll do it again. He's looking for men and women, boys and girls, families and churches who will trust him. Who've seen his goodness, seen his provision, seen his blessing Seeing his generosity poured out to us, and he's going, will you, will, you tr- will you trust me again? Friends, we've seen too much, even in our two years here at Epic, to question whether or not God's going to take care of us in the future. We, we've seen too much. You're sitting in a building that just happened to be zoned by the time we leased it. We've seen too much. We, we, we've just seen, we've seen way too much. Well, how does this thing end? Look at verses 26 through 30. What happens to those to maintain the status quo, and then what happens to the two who rejected it? It's pretty mind-blowing. Here's what happens. Verse 26 through 30, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, hear this, not one, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except, except, except Caleb and Joshua. See, there's a reason why no one names their sons the other 10 names. Okay, they're hard to pronounce, and no one wants their sons to be like those 10. The ten that refused to believe God and refused to move in faith, they never made it into the land. Do you see what God said in verse 30? The land I swore. Like this isn't like God said, hey, 50-50, there's a chance I'll be with you. The land God swore to give them. But two, two believed him. Two went for it. They took him at his word, and they get into the promised land. How many times have we missed out on what God had for us because we insisted on maintaining the status quo? I don't know how many times, but I know this. I'm sick and tired of missing out on the adventures God has for me, for my family, my marriage, and this church. I'm tired of maintaining the status quo because it makes good sense. I want to go for it. I want to go for it. 
There's this principle of sowing and reaping all throughout the scriptures, and these 12, they discovered as well. What you sow, you will reap. You can't get away from it. Sow faith, you reap certain things. Don't sow faith, you reap certain things. Sow generosity, you reap something. Sow belief, you get something. Some of you, it's just time to go for it. What is it? It could be that you need to start a new business that God's stirring on your heart, even though it seems nearly impossible in the market you're in. It might mean that you need to change careers, even though you've done the same thing your entire life and thought you would do it forever. It could mean that you need to begin pursuing a brand new relationship of some variety. It also could mean that you need to make a shift in how you allocate your resources. I know that it's scary to begin something new. Trust me. I thought this was a one and done thing, but apparently God's making it just part of my life. I know that it's scary to begin something new. It's also scary to make a shift that goes so far away from what's familiar to us. That is scary. But here's a principle I've seen in play in the Bible and in my life and just in our church. Here here it is. It seems like, I'm not saying it's 100% absolute truth, but it seems like in these situations, God usually doesn't move until our faith begins to move. It, It seems like God doesn't begin to move until our faith begins to move. Shauna and I committed, remember, our boys don't get a vote. Now that we're outnumbered in our house, they never get a vote. But when Shauna and I committed to move here to San Francisco to start this church, there was not one dollar of funding. I think God was waiting on us to make the commitment. When we signed the lease on the space that you're sitting in now, we didn't have enough people to afford it. Like, Ben, that's foolish. I'm like, well, it worked. (laughs) I think. All I know is that God's waiting us for, even if you look through the Old Testament, oftentimes until they stepped in the water, God wouldn't dry the water up if that's what he had planned to do in that situation. Look at Joshua 3, I believe. Until they step, until we move, why? Because every one of us in this room, if God would line the stars up for us perfectly, we'd all go for it, right? If God said, hey, here's $20 million, every one of us in this room would chase the idea we have. If God said that, listen, this woman's going to want to spend the rest of your life with all of you single men, you'd ask. The answer's up for grabs. If you continue to maintain the status quo in your life, what will you miss out on? What will your children miss out on one day, whether you have some now or not? What will your friends miss out on? What will our church miss out on? Let's go for it. We've got one life. I don't want us to get to the end of it and go, wait, God, you were faithful and I never even went for it? You, you, you were faithful. You had something big planned. You had a purpose for my life and I never went for it. Don't let that be your existence. And if you feel like you've been doing what you've been doing too long, you're too old, whatever, remember if there's a breath in your lungs and please tell me there is, that would make for an awkward Sunday morning. There's still time. And for some of you to reject the status quo when it thinks things like placing faith in God for you, you would have to leave everything familiar because what's familiar to you is trusting in yourself, figuring out a way to make life work. It's not the best life, but, and you even sense God maybe offering you freedom, but you're like, oh, it's just so unfamiliar. I, I, I figured out how to make this work as best I can. Listen, God wants to free you. The Bible's really clear. It says that, man, for anyone who repents of their sin and places their faith in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus forgives them of their sin no matter what their familiarity with certain things were. He can free you from that and free you to something else. Some of you have been a Christian for weeks, months, years, and you've never taken the step of obedience to be baptized. We're going to do baptism in all three services two weeks from today. We're getting ready to go to Uganda this summer. Some of you have never been on a mission trip because you just can't imagine being out of your comfort zone. 
you'll have an opportunity to do that. A lot of things coming up. For some of you have never served in a church, great opportunities to serve. Some of you, God's placed a passion within you to do kids' ministry. We have children here. You're like, but Ben, what if they don't like me? That's all right. They won't remember you. <laughs> Unless they really don't like you. All I'm saying is this. I want to be a church that goes for it. And the day that I start seeking to maintain the status quo, I, man, I, I just pray that uh, you guys will respond to me and just go, Ben, life's too short for that. And what I love is we celebrate two years today. Um, I love that the DNA of our church is this whole principle we've taught today. I went to Tim and Kristen. Tim was finishing grad school at seminary. Tim could have gone and worked at an established church that could for sure make sure he got a paycheck every two weeks, right? Um, but instead he said, no, Kristen and I want to move out to San Francisco. We want to be a part of the adventure. Tim, I can't promise you much. We want to go. Ben and Lindsay, Ben had a great job at a credit union, and Lindsay was working with hundreds upon hundreds of college students in a real strategic ministry, stable paychecks, good life, good friends, and they said, no, we don't want to miss out. Never forget driving to Brad and Mary's house, Brad's our worship leader now, and, and really thinking they were probably the ones who were most likely not to say yes, they, they kind of lived on an island, at least that's how it appeared to me, and said, hey, here's what I want to offer you, and um, it was nothing, and... Uh, <laughs> I mean, pretty close to nothing, seriously. And uh, we, left that, we left their house not knowing how they would respond or if we'd see them again. And they called us. I remember we were driving through some back roads. And uh, they said, hey, we're in. Praise just joined our staff last year. Many of you don't know where that rejecting status quo story. Praise, who's now our kids director here at Epic, she, uh, I don't know, gosh, was a year and a half, two years ago maybe, um, she called me and said, hey, she lived in Orlando, Florida. She worked at Disney World. You can ask her about that. She might not want to tell you what she did, but um, you can ask her about that. But, but she said, Ben, I just feel like she got my name from someone. I just feel like God's calling me out to the Bay Area. Little did we know that she'd become our kids director here. I love what God has done in our church. I love that this is the DNA of who we are. If you're looking for a church, this is who we are. Come join our forces. Help us stay in this way. We want to be a church that believes God for things we can't make happen or manipulate. We want to believe God for what's beyond common sense. We want to use wisdom, but we also want to live the adventure of faith. Some of you, and faith in Jesus would be a brand new thing, but that's what we're praying for you. You are why we started this church. Listen, we didn't start this church because we needed a job. All of us had really safe, secure, stable jobs. We started this church because God had led us into this city. For you and you and you. For us. We can't wait to see what he does in the days to come. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to lead us in one response song, a great song, um, just declaring the uh, radical grace and deep love God has for us. And you have an opportunity to respond. You can always respond by letting us, you know, in a, in a private way, by letting us know uh, on your card if you're interested in, you know, becoming a Christian or uh, being baptized or becoming more part of our church. You can sign up for the 1.0. You can pray where you're sitting. Uh, Pastor Tim and I will both be at the table in the back, just if there's something you want to chat about, you want to place faith in Jesus, you want to get baptized, uh, you just want us to pray for you, whatever. Can you imagine? Just look around the room. Just look around for a second. Don't feel like people are staring at you. They're looking past you. They're looking past you. This is just one of our three services. Can you imagine what it would look like collectively if we embodied what we've heard today? Hold me accountable to it. I'll seek to do the same. God, you're good to us. God, we pray to you. Thank you. God, I love the faces I'm looking at. God, I have friends, new friends, old friends. God, we want to respond to you now. 
And just, um, God, I ask you to continue. God, I pray next year when we celebrate year three, we'll look back and go, oh, that was the best, but we're expecting great things for year four. God, give us wisdom. But God, we know we're going to have to step out in faith. And so, uh, God, thank you for the team here. God, thank you for our church body. God, I thank you that you're on the move in India for a little girl of ours, in China for Brad and Mary. God, I thank you for the women in our church who thought they would never get pregnant, who are pregnant today. God, we look to you. Do the impossible among us. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond. Stand, sing, pray.